grass came and took its toll And in the name of flood control They made their plans and they drained the land Now the glades are going dry I sat up on a cypress stump I listened close and I heard the ghost Of Osceola cry The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and we are live on 89.7 FM, WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We've got a great show for you tonight as I am joined by my good friend and co-host, Gary Putnick. Gary, you've recently gotten me into fantasy golf, (laughs) which I would have typically scoffed at, but I will admit... It uh, is giving me something to, something else to watch on the weekends besides the college football, the NFL, the basketball. So, Gary, I, I did have a higher score than you this, well, this week. I, well, you first of all, you didn't play the first week that we started, so I had the higher score. And I was letting you – I took off a week to let you come back. It was a tough it – it's kind of a BS week. It was the uh, American Express out west in uh, Arizona. So we got a little bit of warm-ups this week. We got the Farmer's Insurance. Big week. Oh, big, big week. weekend. Big week for all us fantasy golfers out there. Love it. And next on our panel, he is one of the faces of Florida State basketball. As you can see him bringing top-notch in-game entertainment from the floor of the Donald Tucker Civic Center. And he is on our panel tonight. Tucker Pierce, how are you feeling watching the both men's and women's basketball teams play right now? Man, I can tell you as someone who grew up a local here in Tallahassee and just having the pride that I have for Florida State just to be here at the campus and to be able to represent, you know, um, Florida State Athletics the way I do. And to be in that Tucker Center after what I've seen it grow from, it, I'll tell you, it's it's there's nothing better than where it's at right now. Men, women's basketball, they're getting a good turnout, but men's basketball, they're 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 seeing something they've never seen before, and the Knoll Zone and everything that's there, it's making it fun. So I'm having a great time. Yeah, definitely. We got to see you in action last week uh, for the home game against Virginia, and you you were at the top of your game just like Florida State basketball was. We're going to talk about that though a little bit later. Rounding out our panel tonight is Austin Reynolds, who has reached the point in the calendar where only one Atlanta team can torture him. Don't worry though, Austin. Spring training and MLS season is is right around the corner. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay. And, I mean, that one Atlanta team that is in season right now, the Atlanta Hawks, they're not even really torturing me because I would almost rather them lose at this point. Trey put up big numbers and them lose because they will most certainly be in the mix for that number one spot. So you're still on the tank train, huh? Yeah, three years later. How'd they do today? Did they win today? They played earlier, right? They did not. They led led for... I, I want to say most of the game against yeah. the, the Toronto Raptors, but classic fourth quarter collapse. So, Well, back 
to the NFL. We really only skimmed over the playoffs last week we, with the national championship looming. But championship Sunday was yesterday. It was entertaining. The games probably weren't as competitive as all of us football fans would have hoped. But got us started uh, in the AFC championship. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Tennessee Titans. They're headed to the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid both heading to their first. Oh, wait, Ant Reid's coached in one, right? Yes, with the, with the Eagles to the Patriots. Well, he is looking for that first Super Bowl title, and he will get his chance in a couple weeks in Miami. Derrick Henry in this game held to just 69 yards rushing and 3.6 yards per carry. The, the Chiefs, I thought, did a good job not letting him take over the game. Mm-hmm. Frank, and Frank Clark, before the game, they said it was, I know it was on NFL Network, the quote was being thrown around all weekend, and Clark was saying that it, Derrick Henry wasn't that e- or isn't tough to tackle, and they sure as hell made it look like it. I, so. I, I don't know if I believe that part, but hey, it worked. The Chiefs were able to stop. And the, the Titans, early on in this game, up 17-7. to seven. That's I thought when that happened, I saw it and I was like, this is a whole different game just because the Chiefs were, or sorry, the Titans were able to control clock, run the ball, and spread the field. And they didn't just rely on Derrick Henry as they had before. It was everyone was getting involved, including the O-lineman who ended up scoring the touchdown at the end of that drive. And it felt different that time because I know everyone's like, oh, why why would we think any different? The Chiefs came back from the 24 nothing, And it just did because of the way that the Titans were controlling the ball and they weren't scoring off fluke plays. And even though we're not going to do our, our big Super Bowl preview on tonight's episode, we're going to save that for next week when we get a little closer to the actual game. We've seen the Chiefs now in both of their playoff games this season go down by multiple scores early on, and they've been able to, with their explosive, quick offense, come back, take control of those games in advance. In the Super Bowl against San Francisco with probably the best defense in the league, if, if the Chiefs were to fall down 10, 14, 17 points, would they be able to to overcome that in, in a game like that against a team like that? I mean, that would definitely be the tallest task that they would be put up to this entire season, but I wouldn't say it's impossible with the cast that they have on offense. Patrick Mahomes, uh, Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman. I, I wouldn't rule out anything at that point. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Patrick Mahomes. Not only was he throwing the ball you know, amazingly well yesterday, Tucker, talk to me a little bit about that run, that 27-yard touchdown run where he was just making guys miss left and right. I'll tell you, Patty Mahomes has proven to everybody right now that there's a lot more to his game than we thought he ever had. Um, I mean, we knew he was a good runner, the stuff we saw him do last year and in this season. I mean, he, he wasn't as, uh, I guess, player, uh, player you know, superstar like you'd see on Madden, like he had was the last year, this year. But I think that um, he still – this was the game where he, he was able to go out there and do stuff that helped his team win. Put his, put his body on the line with those kind of runs right there, you know. In the NFL, when you're playing against teams like that, it's tough. So, to me, it, I, I think uh, Patty, uh, I think this is Patty's this is Patty's moment to shine, and he's got to do whatever he can to do it, and I, I think he's going to try to find any way he can and, and lend help to his team to do it, too. Yeah, I mean, you got to look at it. Second year as a starter for Mahomes. This was his second AFC title game. Now he's going to get his chance at his first Super Bowl. He's already won an MVP. He's already been to the title game twice. Now, that, I mean, this is the big one. Um, and, and, and Titans fans, although it ended up, you know, they ended up kind of handily losing that game yesterday. If you're a Titans fan, can, can you be upset at all with the way this season has gone? I mean, they, I, I was really shocked they ended up into the postseason. I know the AFC South is a bit of a, a crapshoot, but the fact that they made it, not only made it, went, beat the Patriots on the road and beat the Ravens on the road, um, these last two weeks, can can Titans fans be upset with this? Not at all. Like, I, if I was a Titans fan, I'd be ecstatic right now, and I was ecstatic throughout the whole playoffs for the for the Titans because of Ryan Tannehill and his former his Dolphins past. But 
it this is one of those runs that you live for as a fan and like it's once in a lifetime almost and i know for a dolphins fan perspective it probably is yeah and, and, and looking at this titans team i know they have ryan Tannehill. they they, they Picked him as their starter mm-hmm. over Marcus Mariota. How early into the season? Four or five games? Six weeks in. Because then did they start two and four? Something, did, yeah. yeah, and then they were just red hot for the rest mm-hmm. of the season. They only lost three more games. Uh, what type of position, Gary, do you think the Titans are in going into next season with the pieces they have, with the coach they have, Mike Vrabel, who well, has been really impressive? It's going to be tough because both Derrick Henry and Ryan Tenhill, those are at least two of the guys that are free agents coming into next year. So Derrick Henry is going to have to get paid. Tannehill might be able to take a pay cut if he wants to stay and kind of keep this all together and chugging along, but it's going to be tough because all these guys, they're all played very well this playoffs. They're all going to want to get paid, and that's the problem when it comes down to it. Well, you start to look at the model, what it takes to, to win a Super Bowl, to, to compete year in, year out, and it works if you have in, in a, a superstar quarterback, but if you don't a have... A young, cheap superstar quarterback on a rookie deal. Right. That's and what it comes down to. That's what it looks like the model is headed towards, and Tannehill's not that. Tannehill is good enough to get you to the playoffs. We just we just saw that he's good enough to win in the playoffs. Is he good enough to where if he's taking up you know X amount of your cap space and limiting you from adding on the on both sides of the ball? Is that a championship recipe for for Tennessee or for any team? I really don't think so because in addition to Tannehill and Derrick Henry, they're both going to be demanding a, a bit more money this coming off season. Tennessee also has Logan Ryan, their star cornerback, that I believe had the game-sealing pick-six on Brady in the wild-card round, and also their right tackle and Jack Conklin, who are going to be demanding paydays. So I, I really don't think that Ryan Tannehill is the, the guy that you look to in this situation. I, I think that um, Tannehill is probably not the guy that you would want to look to, but I think the only way he's going to probably stay in Tennessee is franchise tag. Okay. So um, I, if he's not going to sign – I think Derrick Henry is going to be obviously the he's going to be the go get. I mean, Derrick Henry has yeah. proven to be the the best one of the one of the best running backs in the uh, National Football League, and I feel that um, you know they have the foundation, they build it right. They need to figure out something that's tied in. Delaney Walker is a little bit too past his prime. Um, I think AJ Brown had a great season. You got you kind of have the supporting cast, maybe another receiver there, maybe go out and find the, a veteran in the free agency. Um, but I think you guys are right. Maybe taking that rookie, that rookie track, and the and you got good quarterbacks this year in the draft. You got a, you got a few, so your options are are there. Um, what you do with them, that's up to you. Uh, Marcus Mariota, I don't think he's going to be there very long. I no. think if you're smart, you move he's him gone. out, you get yourself some picks. Um, somebody's going to want to use a backup quarterback, and Mariota's still nothing terrible of that. So um, I, I think. Um, they find the right quarterback, they'll be all right. Does I anyone really, know, if, is Mariota under contract for next season? I, I, I don't, don't know 100%. Is. is he? I mean, because then they, 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 they can just let him walk. Yeah, yeah, you can let him walk, but I really do think they're going to keep Tannehill on for next year at the least because if they draft a quarterback now, let the guy develop, whoever it may be, and have Tannehill see if they can make this happen again because he did have a very good year. They went 7-3 and three under him in the regular season. He threw for over 2,700 yards, played solid ball. I mean, you, you have to keep Tannehill. Uh, you know, he, he like I said, good enough to get you there. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, y- there's no freshman, or no freshman, no rookie that's going to step yeah, in yeah. And, and be that there's good. No, yeah, there's no impact no guy that's going to. Especially not where they're going to be picking. Yeah, because the they're going to be picking late 20s right now. I mean, I, right now, I really think there's two, and we can, you know, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the mm-hmm. draft later. But I think you got to keep Tannehill. And even with the franchise tag, Tucker, you mentioned uh, they could they could tag him. That's $27 million right now for quarterbacks, Yeah, that's a which l- is still a large amount of cap space. So the Titans are going to be in a really tricky situation. You do have to keep Tannehill. I don't think there is an, an, any other option. 
just what you're willing to sign. Yeah, mm-hmm. you gotta, then you're going to have to find guys, marginal players, that can produce at a higher level than what they're expected to produce at other positions because you're not going to be able to afford to go out and get other big free agents. And you still have to pay Derrick Henry. Yeah, and, and he is, exactly. And, you, and he is the must-have guy. I mean, well, obviously, you you got to have a quarterback, but Derrick Henry, I mean, is the best player on this Titans team. Yeah, and Marcus Mariota is a free agent, there so we, we expect him. We don't do not expect him to remain with the Titans unless he wants he, to stick around as a backup for the team that drafted him number over number two overall. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see that being likely, but hey, it is a possibility. Tannehill, I thought he played well in this game. He twenty one for thirty one in his pass uh, his passes, two hundred nine yards, two touchdowns. No interceptions. He almost had one interception. That one that got That's called right. back yeah. early on. Oh, I, yeah. Once that happened, that was that would have been it early on. And, and he is more of a game manager than a game winner. And you do not need to be a game winner to be on a winning football team. We've seen plenty of football teams do it in the past. Super Bowl winning football teams. Tannehill, he's kind of the guy you want that he's going to protect the football. Mm-hmm. He's going to play well. Smart passes. With, yeah, with good mistakes. receivers and a good running back. He, he can make mistakes. Yeah, no, 100%. And if they can keep Henry and Tannehill together with, and, you know, they got Vrabel as their head coach. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and look at the, and look at the AFC South right now. Like, it's, that's a division they could, they could yeah, win. Yeah, it's just, the tec- it's just them and the Texans right now. And that's going to be, you know, and interesting gr- from here. And, and the Colts aren't that far behind. And you they could also say quarter- that the Jaguars aren't that far behind. No, oh, the Jaguars are quarterback Jaguars away. Are pretty far. I mean, but look at the, how the AFC South goes. How yeah, all the parity we see year yeah, it's in, year out almost. In, in, in that division. And if, if, if the Jags get Isaiah Simmons in the draft this year, you need to watch out for that defense. It's going to be very <laughs> tough. It's going to be super tough. All right. I'd love to talk about the AFC South for the rest of the hour, but I don't know if our listeners want to hear that. So we're going to go ahead and move on. <laughs> oh, wait. We have another. We have a, a, a text in, a text in suggestion for who the Titans could bring in. All right. One Teddy it. Bridgewater. Ooh. That's, I, I would be Thank very you, okay Luke Faye, for that one. If you pay the money, <laughs> no. get him out of the NFC South. I, Br- Bridgewater will find a landing spot. Yeah. I don't think it's Tennessee, though. Like, can, I mean, why not? But he played you, well with the Saints. Can you move on from Tannehill to go to Bridgewater? And it's going to cost you. Probably right around. If Bridgewater is going to sign somebody, you more. it costs you more if you're going he's for Bridgewater. Get close to thirty, I think. Yeah, he's going to be a starter, and that's where the market has been set mm-hmm. by guys like Nick Foles and, and some of these other free agent quarterbacks that we've seen move teams. So Bridgewater, yeah, one hundred percent, he'll find a mm-hmm. spot to land at Tennessee. Though I, I I don't see that happening at all. Let let us get on to the NFC title game between the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, again, it just looked like the Packers were never in this game. They really couldn't no. get the ball moving early on. San Francisco ends up uh, winning this one easily. Green Bay did start to mount a bit of a second-half comeback, but ultimately uh, they, they just couldn't click against San Francisco's you know elite elite defense. And uh, Aaron Rodgers, two touchdowns, two interceptions. But what's more interesting, though, is Jimmy Garoppolo, only eight passing attempts in this game. It and, was and we're going to talk about why that is and, and who really stepped up in this game. But what do, what do you guys think about Kyle Shanahan and, and his decision to let you know let the running game really take over and, and take the ball out of the hands of his quarterback for, for a lot of the game? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about game manager quarterbacks with Ryan Tannehill, and this is the prime example. Throwing eight passes in a conference championship game, that's unheard of. I mean, Especially he, in, in yeah. like this day and age in exactly. the NFL. And I mean, I'm not saying Jimmy Garoppolo is a game manager for, for in the entirety of his career because he's had standout performances in 2019. But just the, the guts for Shanahan to move completely away from the passing game, and even after Tevin Coleman went down with his dislocated shoulder, um, just to stick with the running game for 
nearly the entire game after that point is just so it, it, it makes me wish we still had him in Atlanta. I'll say that. Yeah, I was about to say, Austin, as a Falcons fan, do you kind of wish he did this? had this kind of play <laughs> format in that Super Bowl against the Patri- against I Patriots? I wasn't going to go to that game in particular, but just... <laughs> well, that's there, what I think of when I of, hear of a lot of passes and yeah, not a lot of runs, and this was yeah. the antithesis of that game. Yeah, it, it was really bittersweet seeing him win yesterday. I'll say that much. Let, let's talk a little bit about what allowed the 49ers to go away from the passing game so much. Mm-hmm. Raheem Mostert, 220 rushing yards, Four rushing touchdowns, the clear MVP of, of not only that game, but really the whole weekend, quite literally carried the 49ers oh, yeah. to the Super Bowl. A guy that's been cut by six teams over an 18-month span. This is his seventh team in the National Football League. He's been bounced around, and he, he, fi- he found himself taking over for Tev- Tevin Coleman, who did get injured, uh, and, and really, really stole the show on Sunday night. Gary, talk to me a little about Raheem Mostert's performance and, and if he could replicate it in, uh, in the Super Bowl in a couple weeks. Yeah, it really hurts seeing this performance out of him because one of those teams that you mentioned, or one of the teams that did cut him, was the Miami Dolphins. Really? I didn't know Yes, that. he was on the Dolphins practice squad for a bit, but he really was just able to find every and any hole and even felt like create holes at times. But he, whenever he would break a tackle, it would just he would continue to explode and just keep going forward. It was impressive. It was one of the more dominant... It, it was a faster Derrick Henry out there, let's put it that way. In terms of playoff performances this year, it just couldn't be stopped. I think he's got great size. I think um, what's scary is that any guy in this in this rushing field that, that San Francisco can put up, they're great. I mean, when they put Debo even off uh, on a uh, you know a little squick, a wide receiver quick, um, a run around the top, you know, he's quick. Uh, Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida, they didn't do what they were, you know, were inclined to do earlier in the season, but it was really cool to see Raheem kind of hit yeah. his stride and you know have his have his moment, and he really did uh, do it all for San Francisco. Uh, y'all were talking about you know game management earlier. I just wanted to you know second. I feel like Kyle Shanahan did a great job of figuring out how to beat Green Bay, and that was just run it. You know you don't have to put it up in the air against that defense. Um, Jimmy G, when you need him, you need him. When you don't, you don't. He's going to do whatever you need him to do. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, I think, is kind of getting there to where he's hitting the top of it because I think coaching-wise, he's he doesn't have it anymore. Yeah. But um, I really do think that um, with how San Francisco is running the ball, it's going to be very tough for the Chiefs to beat him. I want to I want to talk about that a little bit more. You mentioned Aaron Rodgers, thirty-six years old now, I believe. Mm-hmm. Matt Lafleur, first-year head coach, um, outperformed really in the win column, thirteen and three in the regular season, easily won the NFC North. But I think we all kind of saw through the Packers. We, uh, we knew they weren't a great football if you, team. If you watch Red Zone, man, if y'all have a Red Zone subscription, <laughs> you could easily tune in every game and see how those Green Bay games were, were ending. And it just did never – you never were convinced that Green Bay was Green Bay of, yeah. of, of the past early in the decade. They weren't. I mean, their defense in times played really well. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Times had very good games. He had that one game I remember, like in the early weeks of fantasy, that almost. I'm so glad I didn't play him because I, I probably would have got my butt <laughs> tore up. But um, no, I, I'm telling you, Aaron Rodgers, it, it's going to be tough with that coaching there right now. So, what do the Packers need to do from here on out to to win another Super Bowl while they still have Aaron Rodgers? Because you know that his years are numbered. He he could choose to hang it up, you know, any time really. They got to give him another ta- another talent to throw to. Yeah, it's yeah. just Graham oh, yeah. and Adams right now, yeah. and that's not enough. And Graham, he's Graham, a good, I don't, he's he, a he's, decent he's wide receiving tight end. He's a decent receiver tight end, but he's not going 
to be that guy. He's not. He shouldn't be anyone's number two. Yeah, and you look at what Rodgers has had in the past when he started in Green Bay. You had Donald Driver, Greg Jennings. Then yeah. that became Greg Jennings and Jordy Nelson. Then that became Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams. Now you have Devontae Adams and, and not really a number two. Lazard. Lazard. Yeah, they've got a couple Valdez other Scantling. Guys. Yeah. Geronimo Allison. These aren't names that you're gonna that you're drawn to. Yeah, so I th- I think Green Bay has a, has a lot of potential because you look at how I'm not gonna say poorly, but how they won 13 games this year with playing slop you know with playing sloppy football and, and all the other stuff that went on around that team. If this was Green Bay at their not their worst, but at you know not at full capacity, what could they do if they do add? another top receiver or maybe maybe someone to compliment Aaron Jones or a couple guys, you know, a couple ballers in the secondary. Austin, what do you think they could be capable of? Yeah, I mean, if they are able to hit on some of those guys that you, uh, the two of you mentioned in free agency or even in the draft, then I could see them replicating this same record but with a lot more convincing performances next, next season. And given that this was Matt LaFleur's first year as head coach, I figured there were going to be a few kinks to work out. I did not think they would get 13 wins but the manner in which they got those 13 wins kind of fitting for a first-year head coach. So I, I see definite improvement next season. Go ahead. I can sit here and tell you that, um, you know, you can say what you need to do on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think if you're if you're an NFL team this year, you're uh, in the draft, you're looking at receivers because the receiving, receivers coming out of college football, there's a lot of primetime good guys. And I feel like if you need another option – like Gary was saying, um, you know, you got guys like Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, both out of Alabama, C.D. Lamb coming off of great, great career at Oklahoma, Trey Higgins, or uh, yeah, or T. Higgins, T. T. Higgins, yep. Clemson boy. I mean, he he can play. Justin Jefferson just won a national championship with LSU. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good receivers out there that if you are the Packers, it's do you take a defensive back? There's good defensive backs in this in this draft that are possible too, or do you go down the route of maybe? doing this young thing that everybody else seems to be doing right now. You got Marquise Brown over in uh, Baltimore. Um, you, you, there's, there's, uh, I can't, you know, right now I can't think of the top of my head. I'm moving too fast. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot there's a lot of receivers out there that I feel like um, could offer you something, but going the draft's not too bad. Yeah, they, they're, they're probably going to have to take a receiver in the draft, but where I think the Packers really need to improve is not only on their defense, their offensive line. It's rough. And for most of Rodgers' career, the Packers were seen as having perennially, like, one of the best, if not the best, offensive line in all of football. It helped win them a Super Bowl you know, almost 10 years ago, which mm-hmm. is crazy to think about. Um, they, if they can find ways, and it's hard to do it in free agency because the best linemen don't hit free agency. They no. get locked up by their teams. No. But if they can find a couple guys, because some of the guys, they still have some of the same names, Brian Bulaga, I think Bakhtiari still with the Packers, mm-hmm. who are big names in terms of, like, the best offensive linemen in football over the last decade. But they are getting older. They aren't, they aren't able to play at the same level as they always have been. So the Packers have to find ways to, to find, you know, players that can prove in the margins and, Try to protect Rodgers for what you know, what little career he's got left. If he's got four or five years left at most, oh yeah. Because you know, look at Aaron Rodgers' performance. It wasn't great. You know, he threw. You know, he was thirty-one for thirty-nine. He still threw for over three hundred yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. But he got real flustered out here against this San Francisco defense. There was a lot of stat padding that went on. Yeah, I'll definitely. say that much. Yeah. San Francisco went into the half with a twenty-seven nothing lead. You just really sit on that for the last thirty minutes of the game. Rodgers was able to really do whatever he wanted with the, the San Francisco defense, aside from the last play, last play of the game. Yeah. He got picked off by uh, Richard Sherman, which which sparked a whole Twitter debate that I, I don't know if we want to get into. But Yeah, I'm not 100% sure what happened there. Yeah. Richard Sherman, he, I, I've always respected him as a player, and he, sometimes he gets into some things on social yeah. media or in the media and other places. I, I really have, have no idea mm-hmm. what happened there. 
It's hard to keep up with him sometimes. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, Rodgers maybe heading towards the end of his career. Somehow the Packers pulled off 13 wins. I know we want to keep saying that they were lucky, but it's really hard to have 13 lucky wins in the NFL. So I think the Packers, as much as we kind of saw through them and didn't really see them as a Super Bowl contender, have the potential to be right back here you know, in the next couple of years. I was going to say, if the Packers can get these pieces that we believe are the keys to a Super Bowl, do they end up winning one by the end of Rodgers' yeah. career? I mean, they, like a lot of people didn't expect them to win in, in 2011, and they won it mm-hmm. after going 10-6 and six in the regular season, yeah. and, and they were a wildcard team that year. So I, th- I think the Packers aren't that far off as a lot of people might think, and mm-hmm. I, I definitely think Rodgers still has a few good years left in him. What do you guys think? Do you, does Rodgers get one before he retires? I would like to see it. Yes or well, like yes or no? Uh, yes. Okay. yes. I'll, I'll go yes. Tucker? No. I mean, I'm mean, i with Tucker. If, I'm, if, if, he doesn't get one. I don't think Brady or Aaron Rodgers get a new another Super Bowl mm-hmm. title. If, me to be yeah, too young. If we were betting on it, the <laughs> obvious answer would be no. I think it's yeah. possible. Um, but you look at a lot of the other talent in the NFC and it's, across the league, and it'd be so difficult for, for the Packers to win yeah. a Super Bowl. It, it, it's, it's possible. But they've, they've got a lot of improvements to make, and they've got to be able to preserve, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers' career. All right, moving on from the NFL. Uh, this past Saturday, UFC 246 main event: Connor, the notorious McGregor, versus Donald Cowboy Cerrone. I mean, man, was that a quick fight! I, me and my friends, paid a good amount of money to watch it. I know we didn't stream it like the rest of the young people out there, uh, and I enjoyed the card. And it was such a short main event, though. Conor McGregor wins. Uh, it was TKO, right, I believe? Yeah, yep. TKO. TKO, 40 seconds in. And, you know, is it disappointing to you guys when the main event is that short? Not at all. I love these <laughs> short ones. My favorite, my fa- Some of my favorite fights are these short ones. The Jorge Masvidal seven se- or five or seven second knockout against Ben Askren. The uh, McGregor and Jose Aldo uh, 13 second KO. Those are some of the best fights because they are, it just happens in an instant. And it's like, it's electricity. I can tell you right now that uh, just the way the fight went, you know, the way it was built up, you know, if you like if you like sports, you like stories, you like stuff that gets you interested because of there is more to what the, the real fight is going on. And the story of this was McGregor coming back. And for him to come back in this kind of fashion, to me, as much as you feel like that $65 was wasted, hell, heck. Yeah. Heck, <laughs> I'm can, sorry. I, can say, I think for, you can say that. For, first time on air, I got to watch myself. No, no um, 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 uh, I can tell you that uh, – you know, um, th- th- that was that was something that I I don't really watch many fights, and I wa- I wanted to watch this one because I like McGregor a lot. Yeah, I got some Irish blood in me, and my man, he 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 really he really made it fun to watch a fight that was forty seconds. Well, when you're talking about UFC, it's a sport that growing up I was you know I was never as into it as a lot of my friends, and I'm still not as invested as I probably want to be. Um, so when I'm watching a, a main event, a big fight like this, I'm looking for moments that can get me out of my seat. And when he hit that, you know, that kick to uh, Cowboy's mm-hmm. head, I got out of my seat. I was going crazy. It was electric, and to see him absolutely pummel him, it's, it's a bit barbaric, but it's what the sport is. And it's what gets the people going. <laughs> I, I was talking to my uncle today whenever I was playing golf earlier at Holloman over in Tallahassee. Is that why you were late to the studio today? Yeah, I was, I was taking a good old nap, man. I didn't get much sleep last night. I had to get up early for a tea time. But uh, my, we were talking about the fight, and my uncle, he, you know, he, he, he knows a bit or two about fighting that I didn't expect, and he told me that that kick, he landed it in an artery that when it struck, stuns your body up and you stiffen up like a board. And that's yeah, if you go back and you watch it, just look at it. You know he, it, it's a stun kick. You know it's if that, you if you if you clean it, it's good. That makes more sense to me because I've been watching uh, 
UFC and just MMA uh, since seventh grade. So this is now I don't know how many years watching, but still I never knew that about fighting and seeing that. Like I've seen that kick a thousand times, and I just thought it's just such a hard kick to the head, kind of like a punch that it's going to stun you. I didn't know there was an artery or a nerve no, connecting can, it. You can hit a nerve that'll just tighten up. But before we had to break, this fight was billed as a big fight, and it was two really big names, two of the biggest names in the company. Was this a big fight, though, or was this really a, a tune-up fight for, for Connor to, to get back into UFC? I know he had he fought Khabib uh, mm-hmm. last it's, year. and It's for sure a tune-up fight for him. He This is a big name that the UFC can promote with uh, uh, Cowboy Cerrone. I know Cowboy's good, but he's getting on the older back half of his career. He's over the hill almost. But this is the fight that McGregor needs to kind of get back, and he's going to probably go for, I would hope, for either uh, Justin Gaethy in the uh, lightweight division or another person like him. Because he's a young, up-and-coming kind of guy. Yeah, so Khabib's already booked for his yeah, next Khabib, fight. He does not need Khabib for a while. Yeah, Khabib's that, got Tony Ferguson ahead of him. That's, that rematch, I think, might go a similar way to the first one. Yeah, I do Pretty not want sure that. he's got to go through number I'd three rather have him to go get against, to Khabib. Yeah, he's going to have to earn his way back to Khabib. I still don't know if, if that'll ever happen. I know everyone knows what happened the last time you know, with the brawl outside the octagon. And I know everyone <laughs> likes to say, Oh, but it's good for the sport. I, I don't know if Dana White, White, Dana White did not enjoy that. Happy with that, that was a media storm. So real quick, before we go to break, who would you guys like to see Connor fight next? Because apparently he's going to fight before the summertime. Mm-hmm. After reading up on a little, a little bit of the lore surrounding UFC, I guess you could call it, Justin Gaethy is my pick because he's been calling out Connor McGregor for ducking him, going for, he says, easier opponent, sure wins. Uh, for months on months now, so I would really love to see that that conflict kind of come to a head. See those those conferences. I can't really give you a projection because I, I did, right now there's just I wish if I knew more about the fighters themselves I would know. But I, I like going down with Austin. Kind of went there, you know. I think they're gonna fight whoever presents the biggest like. It's, it's moneymaker. Yeah, the biggest exactly. name, the biggest moneymaker. Well, you know, in terms of entertainment, in terms of who I want to see, I, I don't quite think this is gonna happen. Uh, Jorge Masvidal. That um, yeah. In they, terms of like two guys that know you know know how to carry themselves to make money um, in the media. Masvidal said it at the fight. He said, uh, "Yeah, I'd like to fight Conor because it would make me a lot of money." Exactly. He was honest about that, which I which I respect. But we're about halfway through our hour, so we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to try to put a bow on another season of college football that ended last week with the LSU Tigers taking home the national title. And then we'll wrap up the show talking about Florida State basketball, who came in at number five in this week's AP poll released earlier today. We'll have a special guest for you guys there. Lucas Vatia will have tonight's seminal segment. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Hello, sports fans. I'm Lucas Fatia here bringing you this week's seminal segment, 
The new AP Top 25 poll was released today, and the FSU men's basketball team came in at number five. A win at home last week against Virginia and an overtime win on the road against Miami on Saturday helped the Seminoles climb four spots in the polls for their highest ranking since 1972. Florida State has won nine straight games in 16 of their last 17. FSU is now the highest ranked team in the ACC, and on top of their climb in the poll, sophomore guard Devin Vassell was named ACC Player of the Week for the first time in his career. In the Seminoles' two games last week, Vassell averaged 20.5 points and 8 rebounds and set career highs in points in both games. FSU will now look ahead to their matchup at home against Notre Dame on Saturday. The Florida State tennis teams both won this weekend, with the men defeating number 21-ranked Mississippi State at home yesterday and the women taking down the University of Hawaii on the road Saturday. The men won their first two sets, then lost the next before winning their final three sets to secure the win. The women lost their first set, won the next three, then won the fifth set, and won the sixth set for their victory. The 16th ranked women's team improves 2-0 on the, on the season with their 5-2 victory, and the men's team moves to 5-0 with their 5-2 win. Both teams will be back in Tallahassee this weekend as the Seminoles host the ITA kickoff starting on Friday. That's all for the Seminoles segment. Now, back to Brett and Gary in the studio. Thank you for that, uh, Mr. Lucas. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the national championship for a little bit before everyone knows we're going to talk about Florida State basketball. But we do kind of want to put a bow on this season. It was another great college football season. It ended last Monday with an LSU victory, 42-25 to over the Clemson Tigers. It, it was a perfect end to a damn near perfect season for LSU. So, uh, t- Tucker, you, you seem excited <laughs> by that victory talk to me a little bit about that game and and everything that went on can i give my honest opinion on this show yeah you, i right. hope so honest opinion uh well if you need to if you if you don't know me you're gonna know me soon i do not like the clemson tigers more than i hate ford and university of miami so i can tell you right now for me to see this i projected lsu to win this game by 21 points didn't have a score line but the 21 points was something i stuck with and to see them take that knee with two men on the two yard line I really wanted that score. I see the respect that Coach O has for Dabo and everything. I love seeing LSU fight from the beginning and then figure out what to do, and Joe Burrow just did his Joe Burrow thing. It was crazy to see. Great game, and it, it makes me feel that much more excited for next year's college football. My biggest question going into this game was that we knew how explosive LSU's offense was, but I didn't think they had faced a defense quite like Clemson, and would they be able to keep, keep performing at the same level against a team like Clemson and they were. I mean, still scoring 42 points. 21 of those points coming in the second quarter. Joe Burrow, five touchdowns. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, 110 rushing yards. Look at their receivers. Jamar Chase, 221 receiving yards and two touchdowns. Justin Jefferson, 106 uh, receiving yards. Thaddeus Moss, two touchdowns again. I mean, Randy Moss, the kid, uh, the ch- son of Randy Moss, really coming alive again in the national title game. Clemson stuck around. They made it close for a while. And, and then LSU really kind of just beat the doors off of them. Yeah, like last week I was saying that if Isaiah Simmons can help make that impact on the defensive end for Clemson, they would be in this and they would win. Yeah. And he was there for the majority of that first quarter, and he was making that impact throughout mm-hmm. that whole game. But LSU just began to overpower them. And I know a lot of people report, some people are reporting that Joe Burrow may or may not have broken a rib during the end, the last play of the half. There was an injury. We yeah. don't really know the It wasn't a broken rib, though. We no. know that for a fact. But... It, and you could see him like kind of trying to stay away from people hitting that rib cage area in the second half because he would uh, take a couple runs and he would turn his body around when the hit was coming or when he was sliding. So 
I thought that was going to be the end for LSU. I thought Clemson was going to be able to kind of tick their way back into it. But somehow, some way, LSU just kept on fighting. Yeah, because that Clemson defense, they still picked up five sacks against LSU. Mm-hmm. They were getting to Burrow, and, and uh, it resulted in him picking up an injury. The fa- the reason that they weren't able to get back in the game is really their offense, and that's led by quarterback, sophomore quarterback Trevor Lawrence. He was 18 for 37. He just looked off. I don't know what it was. We've seen him perform at such a high level ever since he took over for Kelly Bryant last season. We've seen him you know, beat Alabama in the national title game. So it's not about the moment. We've seen him play in the big moment. What do you think caused him being just off? It was. It just wasn't a true Trevor Lawrence performance. Maybe the the sort of home field advantage for LSU mm-hmm. could have had something to do with it. I mean, like you said, the moment is definitely not too big for him. No. He throttled Alabama the year before. Yeah. He was a big part of that. Um, but I, I think I remember seeing he had something like 13 overthrows on his receivers, which is ridiculous. That's the most I've ever seen really at any level. Yeah. So I, I have no clue what it's, could be a part of that. It's not like he doesn't have the receivers. I know we yeah. talk about LSU with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. On the other side, Clemson's got Justin Ross and T. Higgins. Yeah. You know, just to name a couple of them. And, and those are two elite receivers that are going to be top-level receivers in pro football. So Clemson, you know, it's still they still put up 25 points, but – they really struggled to get back in the game, and, and, and we've seen them compete with some of the best teams in the country over these last few years, including Ohio State, who, for my money, was the best team in the country. They beat them. So I thought I still thought LSU was going to win, but I did think it was going to be a lot more of a contest. And if Trevor Lawrence had performed to the level we're used to seeing from him, I think it would have been. Yeah, wait, well, hold up a second. You said, you said Ohio State you thought was the best team in the country, not LSU, before the playoff? Yes, going into the playoff, but I just I had feel Ohio healthy. They were they were there. They were, they were good. Yeah, that's not bold. They were number I mean, two. It, yeah, but the Justin LSU was healthy. They were good. Bounds ahead of everyone. Yeah, and, and now I see that. And now I can yeah, say I'm wrong. Exactly. So Fields, uh, better luck for me next hey, year. When Justin Fields can run the ball, I mean Ohio State can. I mean their yeah. defense is insane. Well, they get yeah. another shot next year, and mm-hmm. so does Clemson. No, they will. So and, does Clemson, by the way. Clemson, yeah, they'll have some guys coming back from. Granted, they do lose Isaiah Simmons to the draft. He just declared, but they do. Get Travis Etienne back for his senior year. I mean, their offense will be better than the defense. That's probably the biggest, you know, if unless Tua had um, decided to stay at Alabama, that's probably the biggest player that a school has been able to keep. But you're not going to hear that much about it. Like, no. for some odd reason, Etienne keeps just doesn't get the respect no. he deserves. I believe. And it's also Clemson is Clemson is f- during their run has almost always been, and I know they've won. You know, Deshaun Deshaun had a couple really great years there. They've always kind of been a product of, of you know their whole team. It's never been just one guy that you can really focus in on. So ETN is kind of part of the system there rather than a true star, and he's obviously running behind Trevor Lawrence, who is the star there, uh, and he'll be back next year. So what position do we think Clemson's in next year? Are they going to be you know, they, they, would you predict them to be back in the national title game next year, given what we know about all the other schools? I don't think they're number one in the country. No, well, I mean, probably not. They, I wouldn't shock. I think they'll get it in the preseason rankings. Ah, for sure. Yeah. They're, they're going to be top three. Yeah. I, I mean, me personally, I'm not sitting here saying they're not going to be number one. Don't don't take that from from me. But me personally, I just don't put them at number one. They're losing a little bit on defense. Losing Isaiah Simmons. I'm pretty sure they're losing that. Uh, that I think they had a senior. A senior linebacker that got ejected in that game. Um, mm-hmm. Number I can't remember his number yeah. 40, forty-seven, right? I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but yeah, he'll, he'll be gone. His 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 name is so hard to pronounce, but I wish I could give him justice. James Skosky. but um, <laughs> he uh, I mean they're losing on defense, so I feel like they'll be. I mean they're not going to have much of a challenge in the ACC. 
Mm-mm. I don't know, really. I, I would like to look at their schedule I have if it right I had it now. Me. They got Notre Dame and Akron and South Carolina as their out-of-conference right now. See, they don't really – to me, nothing on that schedule threatens. So, yeah, they'll have a good run, but it's just they'll get to the same point like, can Trevor Lawrence take the moment of saying Clemson is good? That's what they, they were kind of going after this one, and it was more of like either Joe Burrow is just going to do Joe Burrow or Clemson's going to do what they wanted to do the whole time. That's proved to everybody that they are the number one team in the country. And it was just too much for them. And LSU yeah. was, yeah, they were home, okay. But Joe Burrow, they, they, there was a coaching battle there, and I feel like yeah. LSU kind of edged. So I feel like Clemson has it. They're always going to have the coaching. When you're paying Brent Venables $2 million a year, you won't you won't lack much. But, you know, they're not number one in my book. I definitely think Trevor Lawrence could have performed much better in this game, but I do think this result is more evidence of how great LSU was and not how – not poor, but not great, Clemson was. I mean, LSU is arguably, you know, it will go into that pantheon of the greatest college football teams ever. I'm not here to say that it was. I know everyone's having, well, it's not the greatest team, but it might be the greatest season. I'm not here to have that argument, but they are up there. Given what they did across the season, the amount of points they were able to put up, the teams they were able to beat at home and on the road. They went to Texas, beat them. They went to Alabama, beat them. They won the Heisman Trophy. They won Coach of the Year. They well, they did everything. I mean, like, like they literally swept the board. They they will go in that conversation. We're not here to debate that. Maybe we'll have to do a, a bonus episode for that <laughs> because I think there was a team around 2013 that might that might uh, compete with the LSU. Team. Don't the get me We've started. Seen the tweets. Yeah, well. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> I know Tucker. I, I looked over at Tucker when I said that because his <laughs> eyes were just light up. <laughs> but talking a little bit more about LSU, Joe Burrow's gone. Chase and Jefferson are gone, right? Joe Brady. Chase, Chase is staying. Jamar Chase, Chase is staying. Yeah. So Jefferson's gone. They'll have Chase for one more year. They don't know who will be throwing to him yet. And then, like Gary just said, Joe Brady leaving to go be the offensive coordinator of mm-hmm. the Carolina Panthers. Yep. So he wasn't even the OC at LSU. He was their passing game coordinator. Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of knew he was the mastermind of that offense. But, I mean, what's LSU looking like next year? Austin? I, I still think they are – my big prediction is the winner of LSU and Alabama is going to the SEC championship game. I, I, I won't say they make that game because I feel like Alabama is going to be where they've been for the past decade plus. But you don't win a national championship like LSU did without having depth. So while they are losing, I think it's like nine starters combined on across both sides of the ball. Um, while they are losing that, while, qu- or while quarterback is a very big question mark, I think uh, Coach Ogeron has done a great job of recruiting for them. Uh, and some of those guys that were in the second team this year are going to have to step up, and I, I believe that they will be able to do that next year. Well, there's probably a couple guys they could get out of the transfer portal similar to what they did with Joe Burrow. I know a couple are off the board. Some some housekeeping to do with college football transfer portal. Derek King commits to the University of Miami, um, which is news. Um, he's probably... Is it fair to say he was the biggest transfer quarterback? As we know, that's tra- that, that we know is transferring right now. Yeah, I don't know if I can really think of any other one, but Felipe Franks going to Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, so one quarterback entering the state, one leaving the state. That's Felipe Franks, who is headed to the SEC, well, staying in the SEC, mm-hmm. going to go play for uh, Coach Pittman, I believe, is the new coach yes, at Arkansas. Uh, Kendall Brown. A line coach of Georgia. And Kendall Brown will be a fo- his offensive Ooh. coordinator. I didn't even think that's, of that. Oh, yeah, I forgot that's about that. a funny that. crossover. So he is headed there. So LSU... You know they don't. We don't really know who their starter is going to be next year. We don't know who Alabama's starter is going to be next year. So there's a lot of question marks as to what the college football landscape will look like um, come August. But this was a, an incredibly fun season. There was a little bit of variation. I know you had the same three teams, except or the same four teams in the playoff, except LSU swapped in for Alabama. But I definitely think you know the Pac-12 was exciting this year. The the little rivalry between Oregon and Utah leading up to the Pac-12 title game. 
um, Oklahoma, are they good? Are they not good? And them watching them get blown out in in the playoff. LSU going to Tuscaloosa was incredible. Watching them win that game. The ACC, that nothing happened in the <laughs> ACC. Bryce Perkins was fun to watch. Yeah, he, he was, was fun, fun to watch. watch. I mean, what bowl did they, what bowl game did they end up in? Were they in the Belk Bowl? Yeah, no, no. It was. I think I don't even know. Who was exactly. In the yeah. See, know. there we go. That's the ACC for so, you. Yeah. Bryce um, Perkins was fun. Uh, AJ Dillon was somewhat good, I guess. So, but overall, college football. Do you guys enjoy this this season? I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good time. Ah, it's yeah. it's college what? football. I'm always going to enjoy football. It's college football, you know. I mean, I feel like I'm loving NFL right now because it, playing fantasy is great when you're winning. So that's a shot's fired to my boys that are listening in my fantasy league. But, um, no, uh, I'll tell you that um, I feel like uh, going into the next season, you know, being any kind of fan of college football, you're going to be excited with what the what the transfer portal brings and the new players we got coming in. Everybody's getting better every year, so college football's growing. I got a stack correction for on the UVA thing. We are stupid. They played Florida in the Orange Bowl. Oh, that's yeah, right. That's yeah. right. We are stupid. Okay, so they went to a New York Six Bowl. Bryce Perkin, and they lost. So. Yeah, but they were competitive for a bit in that one. Now that I remember it, but I just don't know how we forgot that one. For some reason, I remember them playing in another bowl, but probably a different yeah. year. All right, for a lot of college sports fan, fans, the end of college football season is when they turn their attention to the hardwood as we inch closer and closer to March. For, fortunately for Florida State fans, though, they've been able to follow and support their team for pretty much the entire season because as soon as, unless, besides the coaching search, you know, there's not a whole lot to pay attention to when it comes to Florida State football this season. But speaking on that Florida State men's basketball team, they are currently 16-2 and and 6-1 and in the ACC. Good for first place over Duke and Louisville. They've picked up wins over Florida, Tennessee, Purdue, Louisville, and Virginia that we saw last week at home and are currently the number five ranked team in the country for the first time since they were the national runners-up back in the 70s, which was almost 50 years ago. And that is pretty incredible, to say the least, to see what Leonard, Leonard Hamilton has done with this program. Coming into the studio for this segment on men's basketball, we have got host of Knowles All Access, which you can catch on Fox Sports Florida, am I right? Yeah, Fox Sports Florida every Wednesday is Jay Sutton, who is a part-time V89 correspondent. We've got Jay Sutton here in studio to talk a little bit about Florida State basketball. Jay, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be in the presence of greatness. And, <laughs> what a guy. You are You are too nice. Uh, Jay, you follow this team as, as close as anyone. What has it been like recently watching this team? Are and they're getting, they seem to be getting better in different areas, and they, they're improving on different parts of their game. What has it been like following them, seeing this journey with a very young team, a very inexperienced team? Um, it's been amazing, you know, just being around the team and being around the coaches and them telling me just how they built this thing up and going from a program that didn't really have a lot of support. You know, yeah. this is a football school. And them telling me that they had to, when they got recruits in pretty much, had to hurry up and get them off campus because they couldn't show them everything because they didn't really have anything to show them. And so to go from that to being one of the top-ranked teams in the country is, is amazing. And Lenny Hamilton has done an amazing job. Not only being one of the top-ranked teams in the country, consistently for the last few years their recruiting classes have been one of the high, highest in the country, and, that, and that's really a testament to what not only Leonard Hamilton does has done but the rest of his staff. So this past week we saw them uh, with uh, Florida State get wins over Virginia at home, 54 to 50, a low-scoring affair as we're used to seeing with Virginia basketball, and then go to Coral Gables to face the Miami Hurricanes, where they pulled off an 83-79 victory in overtime over the Canes and uh, Coach Larinaga. Now they will have the entire week off before hosting Notre Dame on Saturday, 
an 8 p.m. tip-off on Saturday, which, which is weird. That's going to mess with, like, my game day mojo because basketball on the weekends should be played when the sun is out. No, I'm fine with 8 p.m. It's prime time, I mean, man. what am I going to do? There's no college football. I guess there's... Th- you watch other college basketball FA games, Cup, man. maybe? Yeah, FA Cup will be on. I guess. But it's, we're going to have to find ways to pass the time. Watch some baseball highlights. Yeah, well, I mean... Hey, <laughs> hey. Said no one ever. <laughs> Those are fighting words, Jay, on this show. <laughs> I was so excited to get Bring Jay and oh, Wait, wait. I, Brett, I know what we can watch on Saturday. We can watch the Farmer's Insurance farmers Open. Hey, we can Farmer's golf. Insurance <laughs> Open, baby. Ooh, there you go. I'm fantasy down. Golf. I'm down. <laughs> fantasy Golf. Fantasy Golf. Jay, Jay's in on the Fantasy Golf I'm League. Let, let's talk a little bit more <laughs> about the AP poll that was released today. Florida State back in the top five for the first time in almost 50 years. They're ahead of Louisville. They're ahead of Duke, who are the only two other ACC schools that are in this poll. And they're they're ranked ahead of them. All three of those teams are in the top ten. The only teams ahead of Florida State are Baylor, the new number one, and it's kind of a hot potato with the number one spot in the AP No one wants year. number one. Like seven teams have held it, seven yeah, or eight. Yeah, it feels like it, man. It's... Baylor's got it now. They're, they're 15 and one. Gonzaga coming in at number two. Kansas at number three. And San Diego State, who have really impressed. They're, they're, what are they, in the Big West? No, they're Mountain, Mountain West. West Conference. Are they in the Mountain West? Yeah. Well, they are 19-0 and 0 and really killing it this year out on the West Coast. Florida State, though, coming in at number five. Do you guys think this is a fair spot for them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can that tell you confident. confidently, <laughs> me, myself, you know, given a Kansas, a possible Kansas upset that we, uh, I'm hoping we can see here in the, in the near future, um, I don't, you know, San Diego State loses, they're going to drop a little bit because they're playing in the Mountain West. We're playing in the ACC right now. Like, we are, right now, Florida State is, I'm sorry, Florida State is right now <laughs> the number one team in the ACC. And to me, everybody knows how the ACC is as a basketball conference. We would say right now between them and the Big Ten, they're the top two conferences. Would we say that about the ACC, though, this year? You look at there's only three ranked teams. You look at some of the bigger programs in the ACC that have taken a step back. Virginia and North Carolina are the main two. See, no, this is I'm going to get back at Jay. Who is you a, took a shot at baseball, we took a shot at UNC. A not-so-closeted not so North Carolina fan. They've, Jay, I'm going to be quite honest with you. They've, they've stunk this year. They've been awful. Um, but can can we really say that about the ACC this year? Are they one? Are they the top conference? They, they usually I are. I don't know, man. Out. It doesn't feel like it, honestly. Like you, we, the ACC needs that UNC to be up there. They need Virginia. They need the Dukes because that really boosts. Because those those brand names boost the level of the play, I guess. But I'm not even or, quick to say it's the the Big Ten. You look at like Wisconsin no. struggled. Purdue has struggled this year. Ohio State struggled. At yeah, some Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Who, were they one at one point or yeah, in the top five? Yes, and now they're like. Are they even ranked? I mean, I they're out of the top twenty-five right they're now. Like Twelve in the Big Ten. There's there's five there's five teams in the Big Ten that are ranked in the top twenty-five. I'm pretty sure. I was talking okay. to my I was talking to my roommate before the before I came on here today. He's a Wisconsin Badger fan. I feel bad for him, um, but I can tell you, you know, we have three top ten teams. Yeah. In the in the, in the, in, the, in the AP. So there you go. there's your argument. Do we do you say that with three top ten teams in the AP? With that conference, yeah. or do you say that five sparsed out, you know, controlling all around what the AP is, which one's more? I mean, they, they did beat us in the Big I, ACC Challenge. I'd also, right? That's true. I'd also argue that it's important to look at a conference from top to bottom, so oh, from yeah. 1 mm-hmm. to 14 or 15, and, and see what those teams at the bottom I mean, are doing. But then, like, Virginia, they're going to – we all looked at Virginia, and you watched that Florida State-Virginia game. You could still look – I guarantee Ham- Hamilton, I'm, I don't know if he was quoted, but I guarantee along the lines of saying this team is, is going to be 
a tournament team when it comes down to it. Virginia has what it takes defensively to get you there. Virginia Tech making a good push. We haven't seen Virginia Tech this year. They've had some pretty big wins. There's some teams in there that I feel like as the season rolls along, you're going to see the ACC, you're going to see some teams separate from the top and bottom. They're going to have that big middle split there in the middle, and you'll have your seven teams that will – a few on the bubble, three guaranteed. That's how I feel like it's going to end up turning so, out. So, Gary, the 89 alum and now with WCTV, Ryan Kelly, he's been saying multiple times on social media and a couple times I've seen him in person that this is the golden age of Florida State basketball. Do, do you agree with that? And also, follow-up question before you answer the first question, is this like the best we're ever going to get out of Florida State? I don't know if it's the best Florida State's ever going to get because it all really comes down to who's going to come after Leonard Hamilton in terms of coaching what they can do to build this program up or keep it going in the right trajectory. Well, wait a second. Leonard Hamilton, he's not that old, right? How, how, is he that close to retirement? How, I mean, he, how old is he? He There's might no be way pretty he's close. Like, he's it? not in his 70s, 70. is he? Oh, what? yeah. It, no. Exactly. So it's all going to come down to what the next coaching uh, group can do. And But I really do believe right now this is the best we've ever seen really at Florida State. I know like the 70s, they did have that, like you mentioned, the uh, national runner-up in the 70s, 72, 73 yeah. season. They lost to UCLA. Exactly. So... It's it's real. I think it is. It's got to be. There's no other answer. I do say that. I do mention Leonard Hamilton's age with, you know, tongue in cheek there because every single broadcast, they talk about how young he looks. At this point, we all get it. We all get it about Coach Hamilton. It's like Jimmy Graham. Did you know he played basketball? Yeah, <laughs> He's drinking that ham yeah. special stuff. <laughs> yeah. Whoever runs the Coach secret Ham's stuff, the secret Twitter, stuff. we all know it's not Coach Ham. Whoever runs his Twitter account. Is doing has done an absolutely. I hope it's Coach Ham. It's not. It, it has to be him. I Lane Kiffin actually, runs his Twitter account. I know that. For well, a fact. that's a more believable. And same thing with Mike Leach. I don't um, the answer to the Twitter question. I can't say it on air. I'll tell hey. you off air. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll have to wait for an exclusive. Um, no, but it's not just about yeah. They've they've made deep runs in the tournament. They've won ACC tournaments. But what really shows you know what type of program you have is can you do it year out? Can you consistently win year in year out in conference play in Florida State? We saw it last year. They started one and four, and I was ready to write this team off. I was ready to, uh, I was almost starting to write Leonard, Leonard Hamilton off. Mm-hmm. And they, we saw them turn it around on the backs of Terrence Mann and Phil Kofer and Chris Kamaji and, and Fiondu Cavangeli, obviously, and, and get to the ACC title game in the tournament and get to the Sweet 16 again. And now this year, we've seen them carry that momentum with a lot of departures and not a lot of new arrivals. So it is really incredible to see what this team has done consistently over the last few years, and, and, and this is really the golden age. And the question is, Leonard Hamilton, how many years does he have left, and, and can he continue this uh, for, for the rest of the years he does, and can someone else fill in after him? Uh, Bray, I wanted to speak to everything you were just saying because I have a direct quote from Leonard Hamilton here. and we, you know, we This have, is why we bring Jay on the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. This oh, is yeah. what he told me personally one-on-one, and you know, we've been talking about this top five a lot. He doesn't care at all. This team doesn't care about being yeah. ranked top five at all. Like, they literally do not care. Um, he told me, he said, the same people that didn't rank them in the top 25 to start the season are the same people that are ranking them right now, yeah. ranking them high now. So if they didn't know nothing then, they don't know nothing now. But isn't exactly. that co- class? That's classic coach speak. No, Every coach is going to say, we don't really care where we are in the rankings. We're just focused on the next team. There That's is some truth in to. that, though. Mm-hmm. That's what Go I was going to get to. And talking to the players and everyone on the coaching staff, they really believe that they are the most disrespected team in the country. They don't feel – it's not like uh, – what's his name? Um, Dabo at Clemson. It's not mm-hmm. like cliche, like I'm just going to say this to get my guys up. They really, really believe it, and they really play for Coach Hamilton. Um, another direct quote I have, um, they said if you look up his his coaching records against some of the top coaches that get all this praise, 
he's whooping their butts. Okay. That's a direct quote. Mm-hmm. He's he's Duke's kryptonite, man. But he doesn't get the credit. So this team, this coaching staff, they believe that it, they're not content with making a national championship anymore. Yeah. That That's what the fans like. They believe – I mean, not national championship. They're not content with making a tournament anymore. They believe that they can win national championships, and they believe that they can win it now. They believe that they have the team to do it, and they believe that they can do it now. They actually believe that they could have done it last year if Phil Colfer wouldn't have had those unfortunate circumstances. So. That kind of – that kind of mentality that you hear out of those players, that's what really helps turn around a program. Is that like when like you see these smaller teams like the Rucker like Rutgers just got ranked for the first time in fifty years or so. They're gonna be content with making the tournament. Florida State has breached that point and they've pushed through and now they're at the point where they want it's all or nothing. Gary, let me ask you, we're we're getting close to the end of our show here. What player for, for Florida State has impressed you the most this season? Impressed me the most in terms of being the best player or just being kind of like the st- like the guy to come up and show up? Who's been the best? The best player? It's either been Vassell or Trent Forrest. I know yeah. Trent Forrest has been there consistently this all year. I know he doesn't score. You, If you look at the stat, the point totals, he's not the top guy, but he is there consistently in every other category. He'll be the rock for this team. Tucker? Uh, I'm going to throw out another name there. You know, Devin Vassell, I expected him to have a big year. I could see what Devin was, the way he carried a chip on his shoulder, um, three-star prospect, and he didn't have a lot of respect, and he came to Florida State to do something. Right now, MJ Walker has really been impressing me. The way he has really mentally been able to put his game together and go out and make shots that mattered, make clutch shots. Florida State never has had somebody who can go out there and make clutch shots like he did against Miami. We've, we, we never have been a team that could go into Miami or go into a, a team uh, on a away game like that, be down nine, late and mentally be able to keep ourselves composed enough to push through, take your beats, keep pushing harder, and get the baskets you need to make it count. The way – I mean, I saw a quote today. Leonard Hamilton said, we were out of that game in his mind. Nobody else believed that. He said, I didn't honestly see how we were going to come back. The boys didn't think that. The boys knew they were going to win that game. So I feel like we have players on this team like MJ that can do that. And MJ, a couple of really key games. I mean, the, the Louisville game really where he was Big time. shooting everything in sight and he was making a lot of them too. And uh, I think that's someone that Florida State's going to have to lean on going forward. But Devin Vassell is obviously the big one. It's probably the last year Florida State fans are going to get to enjoy watching Vassell in the Garnet and Gold before he heads off to the league. At least that's what we expect now. But a lot of a lot of basketball left to be played. Before before we leave tonight, I want to ask I want to ask everyone this: Can this team are they capable? Are are they are they capable of winning the ACC regular season title? I think so. I mean, they've already blown out Louisville on the road. That's their most impressive win this season, and they get Louisville back at home in a couple weeks. So they've shown that they can hang with the, the upper echelon of the ACC, and they're already 16-2. and two. Uh, The ACC is volatile enough that a lot of those middle teams are going to start eating themselves up. So I, it's, it's definitely possible. I can tell you right now that if Florida State keeps playing the way they're playing, take the punches, come back harder, keep your mind mentally steady the entire game, know that you're always in it, and keep it tight. Play defense when it matters down the stretch. Florida State can make a run. I'm going to answer super quick with a direct quote from another coach. After they, uh, the guy tweeted out about Louisville being the team to beat, I got a DM from a coach on the staff that says, we're going to make all of them eat those words. There we go, Gary. Can this, win, can this go. team win the, the title, the regular season title, and how many wins would it take in the conference? With a 20-game schedule now. 20-game schedule. Last year's winner was 16-2. and two. I'm not going to give you the number because that's that's a bit tough there, but it's going to be tough to win this ACC title. It's it's a gauntlet, honestly, and it really comes down to if this – like this team knows how to win and they know how to kind of stay the course. So I do believe they have a chance, a good chance to win. But 
Are they going to get done? That's up in the air. I'm going to say it's going to take 17 wins to win the ACC this year for any team, and I think Florida State's got a really good chance of doing that. That's all we've got tonight, though. If you missed even a second of the show, you can listen back to it as a podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search Tomahawk Talk. Thank you to Lucas Vatia for tonight's seminal segment. Scott Clemens, once again, so many times he's done Twitter recently. Our producer, Sebastian Angeliano, and our esteemed guest, Jay Sutton. For Austin Reynolds, Tucker Pierce, and Gary Putnick, I'm Brett Rutherford, and this was Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. New release is up next.